Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Not again. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. Yeah, I learned a game from William Wesley. You can never check me. Back to back for the n- that didn't get the message. Back to back like I'm on the cover of Lethal Weapon. Back to back like I'm Jordan 96, 97. Oh, very important and very pretentious. When I look back, I might be mad that I gave this attention. Yeah, but it's weighing heavy on my conscience. Yeah, and f- you left the boy no options. I wanna see my n- go insane. You gon' make me step out of my f- frame. You gon' make me buy bottles for Charlemagne. You gon' make me go out of my way. F- I waited four days. Where y'all at? I drove here in the rave playing AR app. I'm not sure what it was that really made y'all mad, but I guess this is what I gotta do to make y'all rap. I mean, oh. Welcome to the Weekly Brew, your source for political, social, and sports commentary brewed up in an hour or less. I'm Austin Staten, and I'm joined this week by Kevin Cook. And Kevin, it appears that we are flying solo yet again this week. You know, we've used that phrase "flying solo" uh, a bunch of times, and I wonder whether there's another way that we could we could say it. What's what's a better way to say that it's just the two of us this week? We're producing a better podcast. Oh, that's a burn, Jeremy, Zach. <laughs> we miss you guys, and we love you guys. We are, uh, yeah, we are. We're a duo this week, uh, Austin and uh, Kevin. And I'm happy to be here. I'm happy you're here, and uh, we'll see the other guys when they're free to help. It's interesting. You call us a duo, but we actually had a review this week on iTunes, and uh, it seems that one of our listeners doesn't mind that actually. As promised, you know, um, the reviewers uh, get a shout out here on the podcast for doing uh, what they're supposed to be doing to help us grow because I've been doing some research into iTunes and Apple and uh, those reviews matter a lot uh, for some reason. I don't know why Apple places so much emphasis on them, but they are important. So uh, as we encourage you guys to do, go out there and uh, not only listen, but also make sure you click subscribe and then also click on ratings and reviews and leave us one. And uh, like I mentioned before, we'll certainly give you a shout out. So here's one titled Smooth Conversation. It's got five stars there from Mr. Alan Lee. That's uh, from November 17th. And he said, The Weekly Brew is an enjoyable listen. The conversation between Austin Statton and Kevin Cook is easy to listen to, mature, and professional. I'm not sure about the mature and professional part. But Statton does a good job of moving things along. Cook is funny. I would point your attention to that part. I'm not big on politics or sports, but I'm drawn in by the smooth conversation. Staten and Cook have a nice thing going on. So what what I get from that, what's amazing, is that somebody who's not big on politics or sports, which are the two things we cover, somehow manages to enjoy the podcast anyway. And I could not be more flattered by that. So thank you, Alan Lee. That's uh, doing your job there, doing what we ask of you, doing what will help us grow and become bigger and better and uh, and making me feel good, honestly. I got to say, I have a nice warm feeling after reading that. Another review actually came in via Twitter this week from uh, John Slavny up in Madison, Wisconsin. He said, great conversations going on over at the Weekly Brewcast. Keep it up, guys. So uh, thanks, John, for the shout out. We appreciate you listening up north. Uh, stay warm. We know it's a little bit chilly up there, but uh, we appreciate the review and the feedback. And we've also got another one on iTunes. Now, again, it's great. Uh, we love feedback on any of those forums, but most important is to get those reviews on iTunes because that is sort of our base of operations, and um, that goes into the uh, popularity ranking on iTunes, which determines whether we show up in people's searches or not. And, you know, people want to be able to find us. They don't know it yet necessarily. We're trying to help them, but they uh, they need to be able to find us. So another one from Pi Beta Kara. Love the show. Five stars. And this starts out with, sorry, Kevin. Jeremy is my favorite host and Austin pronounces Houston correctly. Glad you joined the show. It's been great to listen the last few months. And that's a reference to uh, an earlier podcast where we discussed how Austin mispronounces the city of Houston's name. Uh, and Jeremy is her favorite. That's an odd pick. I've subconsciously been thinking of that this entire week. How do you know if it's subconscious? Touche. <laughs> so, but I, she said, sorry, Kevin. I'm assuming it's a sheets pair of care there. Sorry, Kevin. Uh, and I got to say, it's just nice to see my name uh, in print and to hear my name said by other people. So there's really no, no bad way to give us a shout out. And as promised, of course, if you do leave us a review, then we will absolutely read it here on the show uh, and give you the love that you deserve. And if you haven't yet gone and left a review, that's how you can really help us the most this week is to go to iTunes, click ratings and reviews and leave us a nice little five-star review uh, with a blurb just like that. So we appreciate that guys and uh, keep coming back. Speaking of reviews, I actually have a review of my own for another podcast that I've started listening to and have become a fan of, uh, be the Houston Rocks It podcast, which is a great name from uh, old buddy James Layton and some guys out in California, uh, CBS guys, I believe, that uh, do a Houston Rockets podcast. I think they miss home and they love talking about the Rockets and boy, what a disaster of a season it's been so far. But those guys do a great job. So uh, you can search for them on Facebook, Houston Rockets. 
uh, on Facebook and uh, give them a like, give them a follow. And I definitely think that if you can't get enough rockets uh, here on this podcast, then certainly that's another great place to get some information. And uh, we may have uh, one of them on at some point or maybe on their podcast that may be brewing. So I uh, just want to say hey to those guys uh, and thanks for being listeners. And, and we're certainly listeners of them as well. And if you want to go one step further beyond iTunes, you can again follow us on our social media platforms at facebook.com slash weekly brewcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at weekly brewcast. And we've been on Instagram now for just over a week. We've been posting a lot of photos and content there, uh, some related to the podcast, some regarding the host. Uh, but you can definitely follow us there as well, weekly brewcast. So search for that, like all of our photos. Uh, I think you're going to appreciate the content that we're going to be posting moving here on out. And uh, one thing that we would also like to do is thank our sponsor, We Desserts, for helping make this podcast possible. Kevin, do you want to give us an update on We Desserts? We Desserts has gotten back to us, and that's O-U-I. I've been told that that's French. Um, I'll take their word for it. But uh, We Desserts has said that uh, they've had a number of people come in over the past two weeks um, since they started sponsoring us, and we started uh, giving them credit for that, and uh, and come in and say that they listened to the Weekly Brew and they wanted some baked goods uh, from We Desserts, and they've actually done some very brisk business with listeners of the podcast. So again, guys, if you go into We Desserts, which is at 3411 Kirby, um, then you can get 10% off any uh, any baked product in the store, a little discount just for saying you listen. And uh, on Fridays and Saturdays, all day long, they have beignet days. And actually, beignet day Saturday uh, which would be yesterday when we were recording this, was so popular they ran out of beignets at 5 p.m. So um, if you are interested in getting some beignets, I got to tell you, Austin, I've been uh, doing some food Googling, and beignets are like the hot new thing. Um, the the cronut, the croissant donut, it's passe. It's all beignets now. So if you want to be on the forefront of this new baking trend, and I know that you do, uh, then go to We Desserts and uh, tell them you listen to the podcast and you heard about them here, and they'll give you 10% off. Uh, and they're always happy to see listeners of our podcast. I'm going to be a little bit honest. I was a little bit disappointed that they sold out of beignets. I was actually going to head over there yesterday afternoon, and I saw on Instagram uh, that they had just sold out of the sweet, delicious treats. And uh, I was just a little bit disappointed. I was hoping to uh, uh, you know, buy a few and uh, take it over to uh, a pair of my good friends who actually just got engaged over the weekend, uh, kind of a celebratory uh, gesture. But uh, instead, we got a uh, bottle of champagne and then went and watched the uh, the Baylor-Oklahoma State game on Saturday night. But uh yeah, so congratulations to my friends uh, Josh Studdard and Kristen McClendon. I know they uh, listen to the podcast. And uh, Kevin, I guess outside of that, how was your week? Boy, it was a busy week in the world of sport. I actually got out to the U of H uh, campus, uh, to Hoffines Pavilion, um, which we'll talk a bit about what's happening at Hoffines later in the show. But uh, I got to see UH uh, Cougar men's basketball take on Prairie View AMU and absolutely slaughter them 110 to 69. That was awesome. And uh, we course had a word with uh coach kelvin sampson which will be uh dropping in here later but uh it's great I, you know i'm a u of h guy it's my alma mater i covered the basketball team when i was in school there for the daily cougar shout out to my daily cougar folks and uh so it's really nice to see that program getting back on track and um really enjoyed it also went out to a basketball tournament magnolia called the doghouse invitational and uh you know i've been to some basketball tournaments before that's a really well-run tournament out there in magnolia uh, Coach Danny Randall of Magnolia High School does a really good job. Saw some great teams from around the Houston area all competing. Uh, Klein, the Klein Bearcats, ended up walking away with that trophy and did a great job. And then also saw a little Texas High School round two playoff football action this week. Cy Falls uh, beat Bel Air barely over at T Deku Stadium. Is that how you say it? How do we? How are we saying the U of H stadium name? See, I thought it was T D E C U. I didn't know that it was T Deku. Or I, I think we need to actually develop a nickname. So if you're listening to us, tell us a nickname for the new U of H stadium. Tweet us at Weekly Brewcast. Tell us what you think the nickname for the stadium should be. And then we'll uh, pass that along to the folks over at U of H. Yeah, and we're very close to the folks over at U of H, too. Of course, I have some ties there. But uh, I think I've heard the deck, which is not specific enough to be a catchy nickname, I don't think. And I think you're actually right. I think it is TDECU Stadium. It's a credit union, uh, if I'm not mistaken. They paid a lot for those naming rights. I'm sure they want their name read as much as possible, but uh, the deck doesn't really work for me. Anyway, the stadium is gorgeous. I don't know if you've been out there. I'm sure you have. Um, This is actually my first time to it. So the press box was pro. Uh, It was very nice. Uh, You can open the windows. It was a little gusting cold. The Houston skyline is very distinctive and beautiful, kind of in the background toward the northwest, overlooks um, play. And the sun came out about halfway through the game and ended up being a really, really nice time. So I got to say, I'm very impressed with TDECU or the deck. 
and uh, hope to see many more games there in the future. Well, it sounds like you had a pretty jam-packed weekend, Kevin, and uh, I, I will say as somebody that, who has worked in high school sports, there's nothing better than playoff action, and I know you had a long, busy weekend at the uh, high school basketball tournament. I remember a few years ago, I was doing a little broadcasting with Vite Magazine for a high school tournament at the Katie Merrill Center. Got to broadcast a game uh, with Jack Yates High School as they took on the Harrison Twins. Uh, you know, it, it's fun to see those stars that are, you know, kind of developing and, you know, are going to be the guys that you're watching in the NBA here in, you know, three, four years. So uh, sounds like you had a great weekend and uh, we'll get more into that a little bit later. But as of now, we've got a packed show on deck. It's time to sit back, grab a drink, listen and be informed. Let's start with the big lead. The big lead. November is a great month, Kevin. I mean, you've got college football completely underway getting into the the, the heat of the postseason uh, you know as teams try to clinch one of those four spots for the playoffs but another reason that makes November great is college basketball finally gets underway and uh, this season we've already had a string of upsets this year as North Carolina fell earlier this week and uh, just kind of it, it shows you that the parity actually does exist in college athletics especially in the basketball uh, arena but uh, one of the things that we want to talk about is the college basketball season what should we look forward to in 2015 2016 and i guess the natural thing to do is talk about the top teams kevin who do you like this year as we get into the meat of the college basketball season well i think that you got to go with uh, calipari and kentucky i mean those guys what they do there is is unparalleled and they had a bit of a misstep i guess you could say last season sort of you know on their way to an undefeated perfect season uh, got upset by wisconsin which you know, that can happen in a one-and-done tournament. It's not a perfect system for determining a champion, and, uh, you know, it is what it is. But those guys are, are reloaded. You know, they got four guys out, four guys in. Uh, Tyler Eulis coming back uh, is a real talent and uh, and provides some continuity from the point guard spot there. And so I think you just got to be afraid of what they're going to bring to the table and what they might potentially be able to do over the course of the season. And I think that it'd be hard to argue against them being uh, the top preseason pick. But what do you think? Yeah, and the crazy thing about Calipari is, you know, his team just absolutely reloads. I mean, most teams, when you think uh, college basketball, if you lose five to six guys to the NBA draft, you're you're kind of thinking, all right, next year is going to be a little bit rough. But for Calipari, it's not like that. He brings in an additional five to six high school guys who are, you know, McDonald's All-Americans, five-star recruits that are, you know, essentially going to be one-and-done players. But it's remarkable to me how he's able to coach and build a cohesive unit. You know, for example, last year going undefeated before they ran into Wisconsin, the national championship game. uh, It's just remarkable to me that he can pull five freshmen together, put them in the starting rotation and, you know, allow them to play because, you know, Wisconsin, I think one of the things that helped them out last year is they were, you know, kind of a, a senior Latin team, a veteran oriented team. So they had played together. Uh, you know, they had had that chemistry. And so for Calipari to do this year in and year out, it's absolutely remarkable. And I'm, you know, he's getting paid a hefty sum, you know, at, at big blue nation. And I'm wondering if at one point in his career, he's going to say, all right, I've accomplished everything that I need to accomplish at the collegiate level. Can I do this in the NBA? And uh, I think that's one thing to look forward to. And, you know, his name always gets tossed around uh, at the end of, you know, each NBA season. But do you see Calipari possibly making the jump at some point? I mean, I, I can't. I'm not a mind reader. I don't really know the guy, so I couldn't say for sure. But it doesn't really play to his skill set. And you talk about the way he brings guys in and puts guys through the system, puts them into the NBA. What he's successful at, what he's built a lot of his reputation on is, hey, I'm going to take you from whatever high school you're at. I'm going to get you pro ready, and you're going to be in the draft lottery uh, come this time next year. And that's a really successful formula for him. So he takes a new crew of guys every single year. Like last year, he lost lost Carl Anthony Towns, Willie Cauley-Stein, Trey Lyles, Devin Booker. Those guys are in the NBA now. And you got four guys coming in to replace him, you know, so that's uh, he doesn't really build a coherent unit that stays together over time and progresses, which is what the NBA is all about. There's a lot of player movement in the NBA, but what it's mostly about is finding your two or three core guys and then building role players around them. Continuity is important. You know, uh, Daryl Morey and the Rockets always talked about, hey, we needed to get those two guys like in this case would be James Harden, Dwight Howard. Once you have those two guys, then it's about putting the guys around them and building continuity. And that's something that they're, you know, struggling with at the moment. But I got to say, I don't think that the the NBA would be a fit for Calipari because what he does so well doesn't translate into the professional game as much. You don't really recruit, obviously. You draft. Um, I mean, there's some recruiting amongst players for other players, but it's not the same at all. And so I wonder whether he is as talented when it comes to the X's and O's, when it comes to um, building a locker room, a culture, uh, and something that is sustainable and can stand the test of time and will progress and develop. We've never really seen any evidence he can do it, I don't think. One thing that I think you're 
kind of overlooking is the fact that he is able to manage egos. And you look at the Houston Rockets, for example, with James Harden and Dwight Howard. Uh, obviously, there were some issues going on in the locker room this week that led Daryl Morey to fire Kevin McHale. And uh, if, if you're interested, go and check out uh, Kevin McHale's wife's Twitter account. She kind of unloaded on uh, Daryl Morey uh, earlier this week. But that's one thing that Calipari is able to do. He's able to manage the giant egos of these stud athletes who have, you know, essentially run their AAU teams, run their high school campuses, and then he's able to manage all of those teams and make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. So I think that that could be an asset for an NBA team, such as, you know, the Houston Rockets, who I think do have somewhat of an ego problem. I don't know if they have a true veteran in the locker room, uh, you know, a mature veteran or a mature voice in the locker room. And that's something that we addressed a few weeks ago. Uh, But I don't know. I think that's a huge factor that could pay dividends in the NBA. I mean, you see guys like LeBron who essentially control the coach. Uh, and, And I think that's one of the things that makes you know, the Golden State Warriors so uh, so successful is, you know, they play as a team. They don't play for the uh, name on the back. They play for the name on the front of the jersey. And I think Calipari is good at doing that, specifically at the collegiate level. And speaking of Calipari and Kentucky, uh, I had a chance this week to sit down with Cy Lakes High School star guard De'Aaron Fox, who recently committed to Kentucky. Uh, and I got to discuss the recruitment process with him and why he'll be a Kentucky Wildcat next season. So I saw that you committed to Kentucky. Yes, sir. Congratulations uh, on being recruited so heavily. Uh, thank you. All, all the letters you got was pretty impressive. So, <laughs> so what's it like uh, getting that kind of attention? I mean, I can't even imagine. I was in high school, nobody knew who I was. Uh, well, I mean, it started off early for me. So right now and last year, was it was pretty normal. But trying to look at it from someone else's perspective, it's, it's amazing. But looking at it from mine, it's just like, I felt like I put in the work and I felt like it should happen. So it was pretty normal for me. So how long has you know, playing D1 basketball been a goal of yours? Uh, since I started playing, since I started picking up a ball, everybody, everybody's first thing is, I mean, some people, you know, you don't want to jump straight to the NBA because you have to, you'd have to go through college. But ever since I could remember, I wanted to, I always wanted to be a, D, a Division One athlete. And I don't know much about your decision kind of leading up to that. Was Kentucky always a front runner for you or what, what sort of swayed your decision or helped you make your money? Uh, no, they, they actually didn't, they offered me pretty late and, um, just as soon as they offered me, though, they made me a priority. Like they dropped all the, all the guards that they were going after, and they made they just put me on the top of the list. And I really felt that. And then, I mean, everybody knows Coach Calipari's list of point guards that he sent to the NBA. So that was that was a major factor in it. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. Switching gears here, back to uh, who we think are some of the better teams in college basketball this year. There are two teams that kind of stick out to me. One would be North Carolina. Uh, you know, they were the preseason number one team in the country. Uh, I, I, you know, that's kind of going with the chalk pick. Uh, the other team would be the Big Ten favorites in Maryland. And, you know, it was, it was actually kind of interesting when I was looking up stats on Maryland. I kept on thinking, okay, they're not in the Big Ten. But with all this realignment going on, uh, it, it's, you know, I think they're going to go through a, a, a pretty impressive league, you know, that has talented teams. And, you know, we mentioned a little bit earlier Wisconsin. uh the the reigning national champions they lost their home opener this year to Western Illinois sixty nine to sixty seven uh, that was one of the major upsets early on again North Carolina lost earlier this week to Northern uh, Iowa uh, but I I, I want to say that North Carolina is my favorite but it it, it kind of has one caveat and that caveat comes down to health and one of their star players uh, Marcus Page has you know kind of had an injury bug this year Page has been sidelined since the preseason with a fractured metacarpal in his right hand and has been unable to play this season and you know kind of leading toward the North Carolina loss earlier this week but I think if uh, North Carolina gets Marcus Page back I mean he's got that senior leadership I think that they could be the team to beat and uh, one of the things to look at especially for uh, Maryland who is one of the other teams that I like is uh, they just have so much talent they had one of the top recruiting classes last year and they also got some marquee transfer one of which was Rashid Suleiman who was actually a, a local uh, from the city of Houston I believe he went to straight Jesuit high school uh, very talented player transferred from Duke uh, due to some legal concerns uh, coach Mike Krzyzewski kicked him off the team probably about mid-season but he ended up landing at Maryland and I think that team just has a ton of talent uh, but they're going to face a duff, uh, they're going to face a difficult conference schedule and uh I don't know, just all this basketball talk in November. I mean, I know we should be focusing on college football, but it kind of gets me excited for March Madness. Absolutely. And I'm excited for the regular season, too. I'm one of those weird basketball people. You know, I've, been, I've spent this week watching high school basketball. Um, I've watched some college basketball this week. I, I just, any hoops anywhere, 
is fun for me and exciting, and uh, and I'm I'm excited for the regular season too. So uh, UNC, I think for me, is kind of the uh, is antithetical to what uh, Kentucky does. So in UNC, you have some continuity there. Obviously, with Page out, um, he is kind of senior leadership that would be problematic, particularly since he's most of their shooting. But uh, but even outside of that, you have uh, Bryce Johnson, Kennedy Meeks, who are both coming back, and uh, so you have. Unlike Kentucky, which is sort of this, um, you know, mill of constantly churning talent in and out, I'd like to see a team like UNC with some continuity and, um, and uh, you know, a, a progression of sorts be able to be more successful because there's something just morally or philosophically about that that feels more right to me. You know, like I don't necessarily want to see the team with the most talent that just comes in and out win. I want to see a team that has a commitment to program, a commitment to excellence, you know, some dedication, be able to convert that into wins on the court. And I don't know, am I just puritanical? I mean, is that is that wrong to feel that way? No, I mean, I think it's great to see those, you know, teams that have been around for a while come and do great things on the basketball court. I mean, that's what made Wisconsin's run the last two years so remarkable. Uh, but like you said, it all comes down to talent. And this year, I've been impressed with one guy in particular. He's a, a true freshman from Melbourne, Australia. His name is Ben Simmons. If he was the number one ranked recruit uh, heading into college basketball last year, and uh, he signed with LSU, and he's been an absolute stud this season. In just three games, he's averaging just shy of 20 points a game and nearly 13 rebounds and five assists per game. Granted, the competition with LSU hasn't been the greatest. They've played McNeese State, Kennesaw State, and South Alabama. Uh, They played Marquette on Monday night, which is probably when you're going to be listening to this podcast. But uh, he's a very, very talented freshman, 6'10", 225. He seems to have all of the tools. Kevin, I know we've talked about him in the past, and you're going to get the chance to see him here in a few weeks as the LSU Tigers take on your Houston Cougars. There is a Houston connection there, by the way. Uh, David Patrick, the assistant head coach over LSU, uh, was an assistant with the Houston Rockets for a number of years. Um, so he's uh, actually the godfather, Ben Simmons' is godfather, and he was in charge of recruiting him for LSU. So it's kind of an odd um, pick for a kid that talented who was that highly recruited to go to LSU. Certainly, I think that I've seen articles suggesting it's the most exciting time, exciting team there since Shaq. Um, but, uh, so that's, that's sort of how he wound up there and, um, and how he'll wind up coming to Hoffines November 13th, which, uh, I'll be there. So follow me on Twitter, uh, at K Michael cook. I'll be tweeting updates, uh, for that game and for many other Cougar games that I get out to and go see, but uh, I, I'm excited about him. He is, he is a singular talent uh, enough that, uh, Kelvin Sampson thought to mention him in our interview and, uh, and look forward to that game when he's coming to town. You know, you've got U of H covered, uh, but for me as a Baylor guy, I'm actually looking forward to uh, seeing what Scott Drew can do this year. He's got a great front line. Uh, I don't know how much Big 12 basketball you watch, but he's got three guys, Tareen Prince, Rico Gathers, who, if you haven't seen him, he's going to enter the NFL and NBA draft this year. He's about 6'7", 6'8", built like a horse. I mean, the guy's a machine, could make a great tight end or a defensive end. And then you've got another local local guy from the city of Houston, Jonathan Motley. And I think they probably have the Big 12's best front court this year. They're great rebounding. They're great off the glass. Uh, one thing that I, I look at Baylor this year is do they have a point guard? Are they going to be able to have a, that offensive threat that they had you know, three, four years ago? Um, but it, it's kind of weird to me to look at Scott Drew's team and say, all right, this is going to be a defensive-oriented team. Uh, they played a, a tough road game earlier this week against Oregon. They fell uh, on, I believe it was Monday night. Uh, but talented team again. They've got a true freshman on their roster, King McClure. Uh, if you haven't seen him play, I think he's going to be a, a stud in the Big 12 here in the next few years. Uh, but I look, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that the, the Baylor Bears are going to win the Big 12. I think that's a foregone conclusion that until somebody beats Kansas, they're the team uh, that you should look out for. But uh, Big 12 basketball for me, I mean, I look at Kansas, Iowa State, and Oklahoma, three solid teams all hovering in the top, you know, 15 in the preseason polls. Uh, It's going to be a competitive season, and I'm definitely looking forward to that. I don't don't know if you know this. Uh, I certainly know the listeners do not know this. I spent some time up in Kansas. I lived there when I was like 12, 13 years old for two years, and um, I was uh, in Kansas City on the Kansas side, Lenexa area. And, uh, and the obsession there with basketball, both Kansas and Kansas State, is unimaginable. And I got to say, um, I, I will go on the record with this. I hate Kansas 
I hated the people in Kansas. It's an insular bunch of people that have been farming and interbreeding on the same plots of land for years and years. They're dull people. They're dark people. It's a dark, cold place during the winter. I just loathe it. And so I would love to see Baylor step up and take the Big 12 from Kansas. Really nothing would make me happier. And I think that the key uh, for Baylor uh, being able to do that would have to be that they have to play some defense and they have to rebound well, which is something they can do. Um, one of the stats I was reading about is uh, last season teams only had about 29.8% of the threes against the Bears. Um, that's pretty good. In, in, a, in a world where we're sort of moving towards more and more three-point shooting, to be able to defend the three well, which the Bears have been able to do, um, is, is imperative. And I think that we'll probably see them be able to improve that even a little bit more this season. So for, for the Bears, I'm actually rooting for them, if you can believe it. And knowing my history with Baylor and my dislike of Baylor, I would still love to see them topple Kansas. And uh, I think the key to that is probably going to be defensive rebounding, which they have the capability to do well. Yeah, they actually have some uh, decent non-conference games uh, this year. As we mentioned, they played Oregon uh, last week. They lost to the Ducks and Eugene. But they have a, a, a tough game against Vanderbilt uh, coming up here on December 6th. And uh, they play a, a road game on December 19th at Texas a and I might actually try to head out to that game. But then they get into the bulk of the conference schedule, opening up Big 12 play on the road at Kansas on January 2nd. And uh, Kevin, I know this week uh, you were actually able to sit down with head coach of the University of Houston Cougars, Kelvin Sampson. His team was picked seventh in the preseason. I get that I'm a homer. I get that I went to U of H. That's my school. And so I'm going to have love and attention for them where other people might not. But I'm telling you, even to objective observers, this is a team to watch this year. They're going to sneak up on a lot of people. And I think we're going to be talking about them at the end of the year, uh, certainly getting into the dance. But uh, I did appreciate Kelvin Sampson joining. Um, I, I will say I accidentally just called him Kelvin in the first part of the interview. I have no idea what came over me. Uh, I think I called him Coach Samson the rest of the time. But uh, but aside from that, I think it was a great interview, and I love talking with him. And, uh, and we'll get into the audio here in a second. Just a reminder for you folks that might not be familiar with Kelvin Samson. He's the current head coach at the University of Houston. He's 60 years old. Uh, he's coached at Michigan State, Montana Tech, Washington State, Oklahoma, Indiana, and he's also spent some time in the NBA as an assistant coach with the Milwaukee Bucks, Houston Rockets, and that was before he joined the Cougars coaching staff in 2014. Uh, some of his career highlights and awards, he's won uh, Big 12 championships from 2001 to 2003. He was named the AP Coach of the Year in college basketball in 1995, and uh, very, very talented coach, and the University of Houston has a great head coach and Kelvin Sampson, and they've also announced a, a huge investment to remodel Hoffine's Pavilion uh, here by, I believe, 2017. So let's go ahead and get into the audio. This is Kevin Cook interviewing Kelvin Sampson. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Thanks again for joining us, uh, Kelvin. We appreciate your time and uh, appreciate you coming on. Um, one thing, you've coached extensively now at both the college and pro levels, and so now you're back at U of H. You know, it's my alma mater. I love U of H. I'm glad to see you there, but I'm curious What's different about coaching at the pro level versus um, at the college level? And, and what's different or special about coaching college players? The rules are, are different, but when the ball's in play um, in the flow of the game, it's still offense, defense, rebounding, <coughs> screening, passing, shooting, uh, strategy, motivation, getting guys to play for each other, playing together. I, I don't think there's any difference in those aspects. Um, but the NBA to college is also the uh, the length of the season. You know, we usually start uh, training camp in late September, Octo- early October, and if you're fortunate enough to make the playoffs in advance, you could be playing into uh, May, or and if you're great, you could be playing into June. So, uh, the length of the season um, is is also a big difference in, in those areas. But also uh, the travel uh, back to backs. I think. When I was with Houston, I think we averaged 21 or 22 back-to-backs, um, getting in at 2 or 3 in the morning and then playing the next night. Um, but, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the NBA. As a matter of fact, I loved it. I really loved working with the Rockets uh, because I think one of the reasons why we decided to take the Houston job is because we love Houston. <laughs> um, University of Houston was kind of an unknown um, when I thought of Houston, I always thought of Elvin Hayes and Dream and Clyde, uh, Coach Lewis and those great teams that he had. So I know that there was some tradition here. But what I needed to research and find out is, is why it had been so long since uh, Houston basketball had been relevant. Um, and then when I got in here, it was it was clearly evident to me that the two main factors was facilities and fan attendance. 
Um, but almost every word that, um, that we had been, my wife and I, you know, as 30-year-old, 31-year-old coach at Washington State, same issues. Uh, and when we left there, we were winning and great, great facilities and uh, great fan support. When we first went to Oklahoma, uh, terrible facilities, hardly any fan support. <clears throat> so I didn't see those two things as reasons not to take the job. Um, uh, because of uh, the commitment that it, our administration has made to us, and um, um, we have some really loyal alumni and people that really care about this university. Um, uh, uh, there's some guy named the Cooker out there that, that <laughs> I would really I would really put into that group. So uh, this is exciting. This is exciting for me, Kevin. This is uh, I, I'm, I'm really. I'm really excited about building this program, but I also understand it's a process. But I also understand that there is no pro um, no progress without the process. So um, everything we're doing here is part of the process. You know, we have a um, um, we have a uh, unique opportunity here. I think we're going to be a lot better this year, but not as good as we'll be next year, maybe the the following year. So uh, things are. Things are moving along for us, and we're just excited to be here. Speaking of moving along, moving forward, you know, you won 13 games last season. U of H, I was reading, was picked, I guess, seventh in the preseason AAC coaches poll. Um, I mean, what do you feel about that pick? Uh, do you think that's low? Do you think that's, um, I don't want to say insulting, but, but where do you feel like the Cougars belong in the AAC uh, rankings? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, I, I, I never really pay attention to that. That's I, I think that's just a... Something to read, you know. Um, I remember in 2002, um, my Oklahoma team went to the Final Four, and uh, we weren't ranked in the preseason top 25. Um, um, so I have no, I have really no, no comment on that whatsoever. And, and, and if I had a comment, I'd give it. But I, I just never really pay much attention to where you're picked. Now, if we're, <clears throat> if we've wound up your pick seventh and I'd say those people are pretty smart so is that something that you encourage the student athletes aren't paying attention to that kind of stuff either that's not bulletin board material that's just white noise a lot more white noise than it is anything else because when the game starts you know you're never thinking about who where you got picked in the month of October that's for sure <laughs> so I'm curious have you heard uh coach Tom Herman's comments about love and the nature of love within a locker room and an organization yeah um <clears throat> someone told me about that but um I, I think that's true with um, um, every really good team. Now, there's not a lot of love on bad teams, but when you got a good team, when you got a really good team, um, you know, the river's flowing pretty good, a lot of feel-good feel going on. There's a lot of uh, positivity. There's a lot of teamwork, camaraderie. Uh, all those things uh, manifest itself when you're really good. Um, uh, now, if they were five and five or six and four, probably wouldn't be a lot of talk about that. So I think success <laughs> has a lot to do with that. So that's not something you can necessarily uh, culture or foster in and of itself. It's just sort of something that comes along with winning. Well, all, all great programs have great cultures. Culture is way more important than strategy. Um, you know, um, you know, if you look back at uh, uh, the teams that I coached at Montana, Washington State, Oklahoma, Indiana. And if you were to just pull a group of players from each one of those teams, they will all tell you that, that um, our teams played very, very similar. Uh, the preseason conditioning was similar. Uh, practice was similar. Um, uh, the discipline was similar. And, and all I've defined for, you, for those guys was culture. You know, um, uh, Yankees always had a great culture. Packers had a great culture. Um, uh, great, uh, the Golden State Warriors right now have a great culture. Um, you know, bad teams don't have good cultures. <clears throat> good teams have great cultures, and and, um, and culture is whatever that coach defines it. I don't think there's any culture that's the same from team to team. Uh, it depends on the coach's personality, but all great teams do have that in common. So what's, what would you say is the culture of this uh, Houston Cougars team that you put together this season? And kind of going forward, what do you hope the culture will be? Well, it starts with discipline, uh, going to class, treating people with respect, uh, being a great teammate. I've always said to every team I've ever coached, uh, Kevin, there's three things you can control, and we try to police this every day and encourage it. One is your attitude, two is your effort, and three is being a great teammate. You know, <clears throat> if your culture is built around those three things, then you're going to have a, a, a really good experience. Uh, 
Now, based on your talent level, uh, will depend on how how uh, how much you win and how much you improve during the season. I mean, no, nobody will remember last year's team much, uh, but the thing I'll remember about last year's team is the growth that it made in those areas as the season went on. Uh, an example being winning four in a row at the end of the year. Most teams that aren't very good, like we were last year, don't don't win four straight games at the end of the season. You know, kids give up. You got attitude problems. You've got um, uh, cultural issues. Uh, all, all those things <clears throat> kind of go together with bad teams. But um, you know, you look at that team. We <clears throat> we led uh, nine out of our last eleven games. We we were ahead at halftime at Cincinnati, Tulsa twice. Um, but when it when it got hot in the kitchen, we just couldn't score. That wasn't an, an indictment on anybody. That's just the way last year's team was made up and what we inherited. Now, the class that we went out and, re- and recruited this year, and we've had one recruiting class, so I'm not going overboard about anything that, that we've done up to this point, but uh, w- what that class allowed us to do was move forward. But uh, we're building on the culture we built last year, and that's important. And unless you've ever coached a season, and a season is a long journey. You know, as a society, we tend to focus on destinations. Are you, <clears throat> like you asked about finishing seventh, you know, we haven't played a game yet, so I have no idea how good we are. And so I, I can't validate that one way or the other. <clears throat> or they say, are you going to make the NCAA tournament? Are you going to do this, do that? Well, you're skipping way ahead. You know, um, basketball season is full of ups and downs. Uh, think about all the teams that have lost so far. I saw last night where Mississippi State lost to a team called Southern. Not Southern <laughs> California or, 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 or uh, Southern Nevada, just Southern. Uh, uh, UCLA lost at home to Monmouth. Uh, North Carolina lost to William and Mary. Um, now those teams may wind up having great years, <clears throat> but the, the the journey of a season uh, is a lot of twists and turns, uh, a lot of ups and downs. So it, it's and the thing that gets you through those areas is the culture that you build. So uh, when you're winning, it's easy to talk about culture, but the true culture comes when you're losing. And, and how you how you maintain and, and uh, um, sustain sustain those uh, ups and downs. So for you and the coaching staff, if it's not making the NCAA tournament or it's not being ranked at wherever at the end of the season, what's the benchmark for having a successful season? What do you look back and say, okay, we did our jobs and this is what we came out here to do? I think everything is relevant to your uh, talent level. <clears throat> you know, people ask me, because we need to play a much better conference schedule. We will when we get better. You know, I'm not going to go uh, uh, schedule UCLA, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke when we don't have a team that doesn't have a chance. That's not fair to those kids. Now, the most important entity we have here, number one, first and foremost, is our players. And number two is our fans. You know, coaches and administrators are far down the list. Um, but, you know, our our players love to play in front of our fans. and and um, And we have some good fans. Now, we need more of them. But we have some very good fans. But uh, our basketball team will be judged this year on the improvement we make, not on whether we made the tournament or not, not not on whether we win the conference championship. And there's three great programs in this conference right now, and that's uh, Connecticut, uh, Cincinnati, and SMU, in whatever order you want to put them. Uh, After that, I would say uh, Memphis, Tulsa, and Temple. Now, we're somewhere after that, and I think that's where you get to seventh place. You know, we, we haven't accomplished anything to say that we should be ahead of those teams. <clears throat> now, if, if if we're as good as I think we can be this year, then we'll move up this conference um, uh, at a good clip. <clears throat> but right now, um, I, I can see why they picked the seventh. Why, why would we be picked to finish ahead of those guys? These guys haven't won any games yet. And all it is is prognostication or some guy sitting in front of a computer's opinion looking at recruiting rankings. So, um that's why that's neither here nor there to me. What's important to me is is um, uh, getting these kids to play as hard as humanly possible, getting them to play for each other, um, and then show improvement as we go. Um, you know, we play Prairie View A&M uh, Wednesday, Wednesday night. Uh, that's not going to be our best game of the season, believe it or not. I, I, I got a feeling we're going to be better in December. I got a feeling we're going to be a little bit better in January. And we want to be playing our best basketball uh, sometime in February. So, uh, again, you know, I, I don't judge our team every game and give some kind of scouting report on whether we're good or bad based on that night. You know, I, I can see things in practice happening. Like, 
<clears throat> like last year, uh, some of the games we were losing, I said, okay. You know, those teams have a little bit more juice than we do right now, especially inside. But this team's getting better. And then when um, uh, we went on the road and won at Tulane, came home and beat South Florida, East Carolina, beat Tulane again in the American Athletic Conference Tournament, then led Tulsa by seven in the second half. Uh, and that was a Tulsa team that went 14-4 and four in this league, by the way. Um, I could tell our team was getting better, and, and we carried that over to the offseason in our uh, uh, strength and conditioning workouts, our basketball workouts. We added a really good recruiting class to it. So um, <clears throat> I, I can see where we're going in the right direction. But, again, it's all a process. So uh, you won 95-65 in sort of a tune-up over Montana Tech. Uh, Damian Dotson recorded 15 boards. Um, that was kind of impressive. What, what all did you like and what didn't you like from that uh, preseason game? You know, that was really a, you know, an exhibition game is what it is. Um, is, is the time to experiment. You know, I, I did a lot of things in that game that I won't do, for instance, tomorrow night. Uh, I started five guys that probably won't start, that same five won't start again for the rest of the year. And then I substituted five more right behind them because I just wanted to look at different groups. Um, you know, had we wanted to see how many points we could score, I would only played eight or nine guys. And, right. and I would have played my main guys 37. I don't think anybody played more than 20 five, 27 minutes, and some of our main guys only played about 15 minutes. So, uh, you know, you've got to find out what you have. You know, we, our team's not complete yet. We've got a bunch of players, but we're not as, as good as we're going to be because I don't know our rotation yet. And coaches normally don't decide that. The players do by their play. Um, um, like Ronnie Johnson and Galen Robinson. One junior, one's a freshman. Those are two point guards. I really don't know which one is – I don't know which one to start right now because they haven't separated themselves. I'm going to start one of them tomorrow night, and I guess I'll decide that after practice today. But uh, until one of them separates himself, we don't have a starting point guard. Uh, I, I like them both. One's, their their, their abilities kind of complement each other. One's, one may be a little bit better in this area. Another may be a little bit better in that area. But uh, Dotson um, – uh, Pollard, LeRon Barnes, uh, those three guys are pretty set in the starting lineup. But uh, around them, there's there's a lot of competition going on, and that's a good thing. You know, we finished last year with seven scholarship players. We couldn't practice, really. But now we're too deep at every spot, <clears throat> um, and we're trying to figure out who, what's our best starting lineup, uh, what's our best bench. And you don't always start your best players, you know, as, you know, for years, you look in the NBA, you know, Manu Ginobili's one of the three best uh, players the Spurs had for years, but he never starts. Uh, so the start lineup's a little bit overrated to me, never really worried about that. Uh, you know, Rob Gray is probably our best offensive player, but we may be better served to bring him off the bench, for instance. And uh, But I started him the other night just, just to see how he would react. Um, um, you know, Neither Robin, neither Galen or Ronnie Johnson started. I started Rob Gray at point. Um, I started Bert, Bert Colley at um, center because I just liked the way he practiced. He probably won't start tomorrow night. So uh, that that game was what it was. I, I don't put a lot of stock in exhibition games. Fair enough. So you uh, you did say afterward that we have a good team in that locker room. We just need to figure out who it is. So it sounds like you're experimenting. You're trying different lineups and stuff. Are you any closer to figuring out who this team is? And at what point will you have figured that out, do you think? I hope by Christmas, um, if not before. Um, you know, I think you have to learn your team. Um, and they teach you. You know, I've been doing this a long time. And, you know, um, you know, sometimes, you know, one of my best friends in the league is the guy that coaches Tulsa, Frank Haith who I think is an excellent, excellent coach, does a great job wherever he's been. But he inherited five starters from, that went to the NCAA tournament. And Frank would be the first one to tell you that, you know, that's just, you know, uh, it's very fortunate. And they, they parlayed that into a really good year. And they're all back. So they're all juniors, and this year they're seniors. Now next year he's going to have to start over. Uh, we were the other way. You know, we lost everybody. Um, uh, all the main guys, I think their two best players from the year before, and I'd never really seen them play before, was Thomas and House. Um, and then last year we had some things go against us. L.J. Rose broke his foot. We thought he'd be our starting point guard. Um, this year we thought L.J. would help us again, but, you know, he's, he's having trouble with the same foot. And to be honest with you, Kevin, his career may be over. 
So, you know, that's that's a piece that we thought would really help us. Um, but I, I like the fact that we, we've got depth, and I think that's the strength of our team. I don't think the strength of our team is going to be one player in particular. Like, we don't have a, um, a James Harden or Steph Curry, not – you know, everything's relevant, but we don't have a, one guy that's better than everybody else on our team. You know, the strength of our team is that is, is our team, is our depth. I'm looking at the schedule here, and there's a couple of games that I'm, I'm thinking about as being big games. SMU comes to town, obviously. You have UConn comes to town. Um, you play, L, uh, well, I mentioned LSU already. What are, what are games, you talked about fan attendance. What are games that you'd really like to see the fans uh, be there for and kind of show up for? Yeah, all the games. I, I mean, you know, you, you know, when we got to Oklahoma, Kevin, um, you know, Oklahoma's a, a great, great football tradition, and most fans have one heartbeat, and, and their heartbeats during the season it's in. Like right now, our fans' heartbeat is football, as it should be. Um, uh, I'm a big football fan. I love watching our team. That, that game uh, Saturday night against um, Memphis was exhilarating, to say the least. Um, um, but, you know, I'm, I'm the basketball coach. I'm not the football coach, so um, for, for us, uh, I'll know that this program is going when people come to see us play and not see the other team. That's certainly a good goal to get to. And uh, I, I got to ask one thing before I let you go, Coach. I'm sure you keep up with the Rockets and what's going on with their season. What what in the world is happening with that team, and what can they do to right the ship? You know, I read something where I don't know if it was Trevor or James. One of them said that they were slacking. Um, and that, I thought that was a very honest, open comment, but... You know, playing hard and competing is a skill. And, and understand this, Kevin, there's a big difference in playing hard versus competing. I think the Rockets are playing hard, but I'm not sure if they're really competing. Like I watched them a little bit last night against Boston. I, I thought Boston really competed. Um, uh, and until, you, until they take care of the effort area, it's hard to worry about basketball. They've got to get that thing uh, resolved first. Um, you know, and, and and they're no longer the hunted. You know, they're the uh, uh, they're the they're they're no longer the hunter. They're the hunted. I mean, people are after the Rockets. I mean, they get up for them, and they've because of the season they had last year. Um, but you know, it's it's hard to win games at any level. It really is. It's hard to win a game. That's why you just marvel at what Golden State has. But uh, uh, Rockets, uh, there's a good team in that Rockets locker room. They I mean they have a really good team in there. They've just got to figure it out. Well, I certainly think that's the case, and I hope they do. And I hope the same is true of you and the Cougars this season. I'm rooting for a uh, for a very um, uh, excellent season for you guys, and I think that you have uh, the talent and certainly the coaching to get there. So I appreciate you joining us, Coach Sampson, and uh, we will let you go. But uh, it was wonderful having you. We'd love to have you again sometime. Anytime, Kevin. It was a pleasure being on with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Take care, Coach. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Great interview with Coach Sampson. Uh, you know, Coach Sampson, we just want to thank you for taking your time and joining us on The Weekly Brew. Always welcome to come back and join us whenever you like. Kevin, thanks so much for organizing that interview. Uh, just, you know, kind of what are your thoughts after, you know, kind of hearing that audio again? Coach Sampson is one of my favorite coaches and favorite human beings in the world. Um, you know, he and my dad talk a lot, and uh, I'm constantly hearing amusing things that he has said, and he just has the kind of attitude that I think it takes to win. You know, he's a very down-to-earth guy. He tells it like it is, as you guys heard, and uh, always pleasant to talk to him. Um, and I love getting quotes after games from him as well. So I mean, he's just a, a guy that I love uh, hearing from. I think he's got a lot of good things to say, and I'm certainly glad he joined us, and I uh, hope we can have him again in the future. I think. Thanks again to Coach Sampson joining us on the Weekly Brew, and we appreciate your time, and uh, best of luck to the Cougars this season. We'll definitely be following you guys. Around the horn. Kevin, we just spent a good time talking college basketball, and one thing that we haven't done on the show in the past few weeks is Around the Horn, so we're bringing that segment back right now, and I think it's a, a great start. Uh, go ahead and tell us about your topic for today. Ezekiel Elliott um, is Ohio State uh, running back. Of course, um, he you guys have probably heard about this. That's why I picked it. Big story. Uh, it was very critical to play calling in the recent 17-14 loss to Michigan State. Um, touched the ball twice in the second half, only 12 times total. Got something like 33 yards rushing on 12 carries. Uh, he had 100 yards in every game this season and touched the ball fewer than 19 times uh, only twice. So this was an aberration, and he wasn't shy about saying so. His uh, post-game commentary was... I think a little more um, unadulterated or unaudited than we're used to hearing from college athletes. So let's let's play that real quick. You deserve more than 11 carries in a game like this, and how big of a part of the offense do you feel like was missing without you touching the ball? Um, 
I think I do deserve more than 11 carries. I think I really do. I mean, honestly, I can't speak for the for the play calling. I, I don't know what was going on. I don't know what they were seeing, but uh, honestly, mm, it didn't work out. <laughs> it wasn't working. Did you think this could be your last Thank game you here? Um, is that why you're so disappointed you didn't get the ball more? Honestly, this is my last game in the shoe. I mean, there's no chance of me coming back next year. Uh, so, I mean, I got to make the most of my time, my time left. And, uh, I mean, I just want to thank Buckeye Nation for just uh, making this play so special. And uh, I'm sorry about tonight. And, and, and uh, I mean, we're going to come out a different team next week. I think that's just absolutely crazy. I mean, after starting the week in the hospital with, a, you know, an undisclosed infection in his leg, he just claimed that he was, you know, ready to go. Uh, but you look at his numbers. Uh, he finished with just 33 yards and a touchdown, snapping a streak of 15 consecutive 100-yard games. I understand his frustration, but there's a time and a place. And right after losing a game to a rival and, you know, potentially uh, having your Heisman candidacy come to an end and declaring that you're going to the, that it's your last game at Ohio State, I think that's just so immature. Uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I, I got to say, I don't hate it. Uh, I think the play calling was inexplicable. The guy seemed ready to go. He said he was ready to go. They wouldn't have played him if he wasn't 100% or close to, I don't think. So I don't. I don't really ever criticize athletes for being open. You know, as a society and as a culture, we sort of crave for them to be less cliched, um, less guarded. And then when they are, I feel like people criticize them as well. And maybe it's two different factions of people that are calling for it. But I love it when athletes say what's on their mind. He said what's on his mind. He was respectful. He didn't call uh, the coordinator an idiot. You know, he didn't uh, use any foul language that I heard. Um, it seemed pretty reasonable to me, but very, uh, very transparent. And I totally appreciate that. And I support him. I think he's got a point. One of the things that's crazy about Ohio State, they have so much NFL talent on their roster this year, but they haven't been able to put it together. I mean, they, they went from a six and a half point favorite against Michigan this week to now being underdogs by two and a half points. Uh, but you just look at the, the, the stats for Ohio State and they just didn't perform well. I mean, their quarterback, JT Barrett, went nine to 16 for 46 yards total with one touchdown uh ezekiel elliott again 33 yards on 12 carries that's 2.8 yards per carry i mean those just aren't good numbers and i think that they need to realize that this is not about the name on the back of the jersey but it was a team effort the team lost the game uh and ezekiel elliott you can be mad all you want but you didn't play that well uh, I, I understand expressing your frustration but at the end of the day you've got to play better and back it up i mean if, if you want to say that you know, the play calling was terrible. Sure. Do better than 2.8 yards per carry. Uh, I, I just, that game was just so terrible to watch. And uh, I think, I think the, one of the fascinating things is we've talked about Michigan state earlier on the podcast. Uh, I believe it was a few weeks ago, but their two biggest wins of the season against Michigan and Ohio state, they trailed the entire game until the final play of the game. So it's just re remarkable to see that resiliency for the Spartans. And right now I think if they win out, they control their own destiny as we get toward the college football playoff, which will be announced on December 6th. And I think it's worth noting, um, I'm going to be the first to go on record and and uh, talk about this. Are you familiar with the Madden curse? Absolutely. Yeah, of course, it's uh, for viewers or listeners. I guess nobody views this. But listeners who don't know, that's when uh, an athlete uh, from the NFL appears on the cover of Madden NFL, the very famous, uh, popular high-selling game uh and and typically speaking those athletes tend to have a worse year the year afterward so they call something the madden curse is what they refer to it as i'm going to propose that there is a uh, now that we have a college football playoffs and a national champion a real national champion it looks like ohio state is just really the wheels have completely coming off here so uh, what if there is in fact uh a national championship curse now that there's a real national championship you heard it here first i think that ohio state is suffering from the very first uh, national championship purse and you hear that music folks that is the x-files theme song playing uh, because kevin has a conspiracy theory but i think there is some validity to it i mean i think the the expectations especially at the college level are are, are immense you know you have all, all of these booster alumni donating millions and millions of dollars to programs uh, that are essentially just you know kids playing a game i mean these are 18 to 22 year old kids and uh you know they're great student athletes uh, but at the end of the day, I, I think sometimes that pressure can just be too much. You look at last year with Florida State, they had essentially the entire team returning, but they just weren't the same. And I think we are seeing that this year with Ohio State. And 
I think that's actually a valid point. So uh, we'll check out the national champion this year and see how they struggle uh, next year. But that's that's an interesting take, Kevin, and uh, something worth following. Around the horn. And we spent this entire podcast so far discussing college basketball, college football. But uh, last week, our podcast focused specifically on the Paris attacks and kind of the aftermath that would happen uh, this week. 27 governors, mostly of which were Republican, including Texas Governor Greg Abbott, said that they were going to ban Syrian refugees from resettling in their states as the recent Paris attacks have started concern over the stream of migrants seeking safety in Europe and the U.S. And I know this is something that we've touched on on a few occasions here on the Weekly Brew, but my goodness, some of the hatred that I've seen on Facebook and Twitter this week has just been mortifying to me. Uh, you know, I... I don't know. I mean, Kevin, I'm sure you. I, I'm sure I know what your take is on Syrian refugees, but I, I, I don't know. I think that a lot of people, when they hear refugees, they just have this negative connotation, uh, and I, I think that's just led to almost downright racism on social media. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this? Well, I'm actually looking up right now. The uh, Statue of Liberty has that poem on it, right? Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That's on the Statue of Liberty. I mean, that's that's a, a poetic representation of a principle that has guided this country, that has been foundational to what makes this country great. I mean, the diversity that we have is unparalleled, um, and even though there's certainly no... Uh, racial harmony or, or, or peace, um, at least not to the degree we'd like to see it. We are a progressive country in general, and uh, and we benefit a great deal from the different citizens that we have, um, citizens of different heritage from different places with different backgrounds. Uh, college uh, admittance policies, you know, um, encourage diversity. I don't. It's it's not inexplicable to me. I get racism. I get fear. I get this conservative um, hate mongering ideology of us versus them, and I I get it, but I hate it, and and it is discouraging. It's like it's how can we do something that's so antithetical to what we as a country ought to represent, and at times in the past have represented. So yeah, it's a step backwards. I mean, you have two factions in this country: one trying to push it forward, one trying to push it back, and certainly some of the loudest voices are the ones that are pulling us back into the muck of. A darker, more ignorant era, I think, and I'm I'm sort of always afraid that we're going to tip back into that um, that sort of base, um, amoral, horrible mass that we we came from, uh, rather than moving forward. So yeah, that that's my take on it, is that there are ignorant people that are guiding and shouting um, the policy that this country is is threatening to take. And I will be clear, I, I do think that there are ignorant people when it comes to this subject specifically. I think that a lot of folks are assuming that you can't allow Syrians to come in and sneak through the border. I agree. You know, if, if you have refugees, they need to do it the correct way. And it's a cumbersome process. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. Uh, usually it's about a three-year process for a refugee to seek asylum in the United States. It's a very, very difficult process. In fact, the U.S. has resettled 784,000 refugees since September 11th, 2001, according to Kathleen Newland, co-founder of the Migration Policy Institute, a think tank in Washington, D.C. Since then, Newland said only three resettled refugees, two Iraqis in Kentucky and an Uzbek in Idaho, have been arrested for planning terrorist activities. I think the war on ISIS itself is much bigger than Syria. I mean, these people are trying to flee oppression, flying, trying to flee murder. And it just bothers me that so many people are narrow-minded and don't want to help out. I mean, I do agree that, you know, the U.S. should strengthen up the borders a little bit and, you know, make sure that these refugees are going through the proper protocol. Uh, but I think if they pack, if they all the boxes are checked. All the background checks are complete. And again, this is a very, very cumbersome process. I don't have, you know, any qualms with inviting these people into the country to get away from terror. And one thing that I found interesting this week is the Washington article. And uh, it, it, it was discussing a poll that was taken in 1938 prior to Crystal Knock uh, over in Europe. And the question was posed to Americans do you approve of the United States allowing refugees from Germany, Austria, and Poland, most of which were Jewish, to come into the United States and seek asylum? And 
only 5% of Americans polled at that time actually approved. That's mind-blowing to me. I mean, this is when you, that was before Kristallnacht. And then, you know, after all of this, you know, genocide had started taking place in Europe, polling didn't change. You know, I believe only 15 to 20% of Americans approved of allowing refugees to come in. I mean, this is not just an issue that's new to the United States now. I mean, this has been going on for decades. And we have thousands of people that are being oppressed right now in Syria and much of the Western world is doing nothing to stop it. So I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's been kind of bothersome to see all of this this hate on social media this week and just kind of a, a broader ignorance of people not understanding how the migration process actually works. It's not sneaking across the border. It's going through the United Nations, uh, making sure that all of your documents are in order, that your story checks out. There are checks and balances. And... You know, 784,000 refugees since 9-11 have come to the U.S. Only three have had any sort of ties to terrorism. That's three too many, in my opinion, which is why I think that if you do allow refugees to come in, you need to make sure that they are properly vetted. But at the same time, you still have American citizens that have been linked to terrorism, you know, that have been trying to join the Islamic State. So, I mean, these people were born here and they're still trying to support these terrorist organizations. So it's like, I don't understand how you can say one's okay, but the other's not. I I don't know. The whole thing's just really confusing to me. And I think that looking back with the benefit of hindsight, I would guess that somewhere between 70 to 75% of Americans would retroactively support accepting refugees from World War II. And, and uh, the, so let's get ahead of this with, without necessarily having the benefit of hindsight. Let's just use our knowledge of history to say, okay, in 50 to 60 years, we will probably want to have been a country that did this, that that took people in, that cared for them, that fostered a, a new generation of immigrants, which again, this country is a series of generations of immigrants. And in each one, um, you know, contributes to, uh, you know, another tile in the mosaic of American history. And I just think it's very easy to take a long view of this and go, wow, where do we want to be in 50 to 60 years? Do we want to be the country that said, no, do we want to be the 5% of people that said, yeah, let's take Jewish refugees from the Holocaust? Um, I get it right this time. It's not, it's not that hard. Um, but again, there are so many loud, ignorant voices screaming. One of those, of course, being our old buddy, Donald Trump. Um, did you see what he said on this week with George Stephanopoulos? I did. I did. But go ahead and tell the listeners. So uh, on ABC, uh, Trump called for surveillance of U.S. mosques and the creation of a database of Syrian refugees um, and would not rule out creating a registry for all Muslims. So if you haven't been following this, it's kind of like an X-Men 2, I think it was. Uh, the senator that was calling for the registration of all mutants, right? And they sort of drew ties to um, the Holocaust in World War II and, and Nazi Germany. That's essentially what Trump is now proposing, which is some sort of, Stephanopoulos said, are you unequivocally now ruling out a database on all Muslims? Uh, that's all Muslims we're talking about, by the way. And Trump says, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> we have no idea who these people are and we want to know. Uh, we definitely need a database. He said, I definitely want a database and other checks and balances. I don't think Trump knows what the phrase checks and balances actually means because having a database on all Muslim citizens is like the opposite of any sort of check or balance on governmental power. If you heard Trump's comments, uh, Senator Marco Rubio from Florida actually went one step further and said that uh, any place where radicals are being inspired should be shut down. So he said it's not about closing down mosques. It's about closing down any place, whether it's a cafe, a diner, an internet site, any place where radicals are being inspired. So I, I kind of, I think he probably said what Trump wanted to in, a, in a, you know, kind of a more politically correct way. Uh, but, you know, it's a scary situation right now uh, with ISIS and, you know, kind of how they're being able to infiltrate, uh, you know, the current young generation with social media. And it's frightening. And I don't know. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I just want to be clear that I'm not saying United States should completely open their borders, allow everyone to come in. What I'm saying is that if your story checks out, if you are a refugee fleeing oppression and you pass all of the checks and balances, you're completely vetted, why not come in? That's all I'm saying. Uh, and, and to me, it's, it's, I, I don't, I don't understand Trump at all, but <laughs> it, it, it's mind boggling to me that he's leading, uh, he's a front runner right now for the GOP, but he's essentially advocating that you put yellow stars on every single Muslim. And I think that's just downright idiotic, but that's Donald Trump for you. And, uh, right now he's the front runner for the Republican party. So we'll see how long that lasts. How idiotic is he? How idiotic is he? If he's leading in the polls, I mean, he's the smartest 
or he's as smart as he needs to be to be where he needs to be. It's not a reflection on him as a person because I don't know if there is any Trump that's a person. He's just a character, a persona that is a response to the populace he's trying to please. What it says is a lot about us as a country. And when I say us as a country, I'm speaking specifically to um, you know, a particular faction of people. And we are not a united country. I, I can acknowledge that. We are very much a divided house at the moment. Um, kind of in reference to the Abraham Lincoln quote. And, and Trump has... Uh, really found a way to appeal to um, that portion of the country that I least relate to um, and to sort of, you know, uh, mine them for support. And it is it is a mirror being held up to us as a country. And I got to say, I was very amused with it um, three, four months ago. You know, I think my tone about Trump has changed, particularly now that it is um, in reference to and a discussion of people who are in desperate need of this sort of aid that we are financially, economically in a position to provide. And it's a lot less funny to me now. And uh, I just don't know. I don't know who these people are that support him, that love this sort of rhetoric. Um, that sort of jingoism is weird to me. And I don't see it a lot in my personal life. But it is out there. It's it's not out there. It's actually in here, in this country, with us, and it is frightening. And it is headed, uh, or it, it has us headed in a bad direction. I think. Closing time. So again, this is the sixteenth episode of the Weekly Brew Podcast, and uh, Kevin, it was nice uh, being able to discuss a few different subjects today with you. I mean, we spoke about college football, college basketball, we even uh, touched a little bit on the Syrian refugee crisis and uh, kind of what the correct direction should be. Uh, But again, we just want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, This past week was actually uh, quite a popular episode. We had listeners literally from all over the world tune in. We had uh, at least 28 from France that tuned in. We had listeners from Canada, Thailand, Algeria, the United Kingdom, Netherlands, Japan, and of course, the United States, uh, specifically here in Texas. But uh, if you are following us on iTunes, we definitely want you to give us a review, give us five stars, tell us what you like about the podcast, give us some feedback, uh, anything that you think that we can improve on. And uh, also be sure to follow us on social media. Again, you can find us at facebook.com slash weekly brewcast, twitter.com at weekly brewcast. And now on Instagram, search for weekly brewcast. Kevin, I had a fun time this week. What about you? I did not know that we had as many total listeners as countries that you just named. So that's very encouraging to me. I'm glad people are listening and enjoying. And again, the most important thing, we love for you to uh, to, to uh, listen. I would love for you to be able to do nothing but listen in uh, relaxing comfort. But what we really need from you is to go and subscribe. So there's a button when you look at our page on iTunes, right beneath our beautiful logo, it says subscribe hit that button and then go just to the right of that where it says ratings and reviews and leave us a rating and review. I, trust me, I would rather live in a world where you can just consume our content for free and not have to do anything in return. But because of the people at Apple and the way they run iTunes, we need your support there uh, with subscriptions and ratings and reviews. So, But again, thank you to Alan Lee and Pi Beta Kara who were this week's uh, reviewers. We uh, love you this week more than any of our other listeners. So congratulations, guys. <laughs> also give a shout out again to John Slavney who followed us on Twitter and gave us a shout out there. John, if you can, uh, up there in Madison, Wisconsin, go to iTunes, give us some feedback there as well. But uh, Kevin, uh, although it was just me and you this week, I definitely enjoyed talking and uh, kind of going over the variety of topics that we had. And uh, I definitely look forward to getting together next week after Thanksgiving Turkey and uh, talking again, whatever subjects may come up. We'll see what happens during the week. But as always, it has been a pleasure. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And remember, brew responsibly. (laughs) Always brew responsibly, folks. But uh, again, thanks to head coach of the University of Houston Cougars, Kelvin Sampson, for joining us on the weekly brewcast. Again, for my co-host, Kevin Cook. My name's Austin Staten. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Weekly Brew. 